welcome to the All About Animals show. My name is Nikita Dewan, and today I'm here with and really excited to be talking to Courtney Scott. She is an elephant specialist from In Defense of Animals, an international animal protection organization with over 250,000 valued supporters. They have projects ranging from sanctuaries to hands-on animal rescue facilities to legislative and educational campaigns, all dedicated to promoting the rights of non-human animals. Thank you so much for joining today, Courtney. How are you? Oh, good morning, Nikita. Um, very well. How are you doing in Delhi, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm great. Thank you so much for asking. And thank you so much for joining. It's such an honor to have you here. Um, I just wanted to start by asking if you can briefly tell us about In Defense of Animals, which countries you operate in, your kinds of camp- your times of uh, campaigns, and how you personally got involved in animal welfare. Well, In Defense of Animals is an international animal rights organization working on many, many different animal issues. And I got involved because I was and am at this point, the president of a nonprofit called Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants. So I got involved through my advocacy to help the elephants here where I live in Portland, Oregon. And IDA and Defense of Animals has been an ally for Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants for a number of years. So we've been working together on the local zoo issues here. And then about a year ago, IDA asked me to join to help with their campaign, which is the 10 Worst Zoos for Elephants. And so I've been working with them as an elephant consultant for the last about about a year now. Okay, great. And so does the organization do all kinds of animals from um, like farm animals and or mostly focusing on the wild? Is it just uh, a variety? Right. They do, they do farmed animals. They do fur bearing animals. They do captive animals. Um, they do, of course, elephants. Yeah. Um, you know, all kinds of, uh, just, just about every animal you could mention. They, they have a sanctuary. Um, so they, they have a lot of issues that they're dealing with across the board. Yeah, I saw that they have many like headquarters and um, they do work in a variety of countries, which is really nice to see. And right. Yeah, right. And you mentioned the 10 worst zoo list, which, um, you know, we're going to be talking about today since it's, you know, one of the huge hallmarks of the organization. And I understand that it's been, um, it basically just compiles the list of the 10 worst zoos for elephants from 2004 to uh, the present. So it's an opportunity to raise the profile of captive elephant suffering and seek improvements. So uh, can can we just hear from you firstly, what the purpose of the list is? Well, you just said it perfectly. That's exactly it. We want to raise awareness with the public because they're the ones who can help to put pressure on the zoos. Part of the reason or part of the way that happens is through the list, The list is um, published and it's also reported about in the media. And a lot of people then, more people have access to the information and decide to take action. And so that's, that's been going on, like you say, since 2004. And so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of zoos that have been brought into the spotlight 
about the poor conditions for elephants over all those years. Right. And um, I was also wondering how do you develop the list of uh, the 10 worst zoos? So like, how do you start and what is the criteria you're uh, evaluating? Right. Well, we look at a lot of factors. First of all, whatever news there is over the last year, you know, whether there's a new death, whether there's an ex space expansion, whether the elephants have died, um, if they've had a new, you know, new elephants, that breeding is part of the issue we really pay attention to because breeding is very cruel in, in captivity. The elephants are never going to be released to the wild or most of them even to sanctuary. So they're being bred to live their lifetime in confinement. We look at the fact that how, what their health situation is, whether they're solitary or not, because elephants are very social. So that's an added you know, burden and suffering for them. Um, whether the management, management is up to snuff, you know, most of the zoos are AZA, Association of Zoos and Aquariums, so they have some standards. But are the zoos even adhering to those very minimal standards? Um, whether the elephants are exhibiting, you know, behavior that shows stereotypical behavior, whether they're under stress, whether they're showing aggression to other animals. Um, you know, because a lot of times animals, elephants are just put into a, an enclosure with no consideration about whether they really get along with the rest of the, the animals in that enclosure. Um, so there's, there's a lot of issues that we look at, and that takes a lot of research, you know, over the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely sounds like a lot. I mean, there are probably so many factors in the evaluation. And I feel like sometimes people just look at elephants and or any animals, and if they're just externally and physically um, healthy, then they would just say, okay, the condition is good. But there's so much more, like you mentioned about, you know, um, whether they have companions or the physical space that play into that uh, decision. So I think that's really amazing. And, um, you know, obviously I looked at the list and it's very detailed. You have a lot of very specific information about each elephant, which I found interesting. Um, I was wondering, how do you get access to such detailed information on these zoos, especially when it's, you know, in my experience, zoos are very reluctant to share these details and very protective of such information. Right. Well, one of the things we do, if it's a public zoo, we request a FOIA freedom of information uh, request to get the medical records. Yeah. So when we're able to get that, we have a veterinarian examine those records for us and look at current and past problems. And that's with all public zoos. You can always obtain a FOIA request for, because that's a, a legal requirement that a public entity has to abide by. Now, when it comes to privately owned zoos, we have an additional challenge because they are not beholden to that law. But in addition to getting records, we get investigations of zoos, like people, advocates, for instance, in those local areas. Uh, we ask them to go to the zoo and witness what they see and get photos and video. And mm -hmm. of course, we do everything we can to get information 
from all sources, from experts, elephant experts who can explain if we see a certain behavior, what that means. Um, you know, every every avenue we can, we, we use to find out as much detail as possible. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, you have a variety of um, information and also I, you have a lot of scientific studies as well on the list, which is really exactly. helpful um, for the public yes. to also understand. And there've been many recent reports as well I think like from Born Free and a few others about um, the ill effects of captivity on elephants. So it's good to see that there's more, you know, consensus in the scientific community about that. And, um, you know, like we mentioned, the purpose of the list is not only for education, but also it's seeking improvement. So, I mean, that just leads me to um, wonder, what is the reaction of the zoos to your list? Have there been any reciprocal efforts by them to try and improve? Um, yeah, but, but it, it's because of a long-term pressure campaign. I'll just give you a couple examples. Yeah. San Francisco in 2004 closed their elephant exhibit after a five-year pressure campaign from indefensive animals. So that was, you know, two of those elephants had died. And after the exhibit closed, two of them were, were sent to sanctuary, DePaz Sanctuary in Northern California. Mm -hmm. In 2018, the Buffalo Zoo closed after being uh, a pressure campaign by IDA, being on the list five times. So they really, you know, were responsive to that, I think, because, you know, it's a pressure from us and it is pressure from the public as a result of our list. Yeah. And then in 2020, after the Fort Worth Zoo and Lion Country Safari in Canada were posed, poised to have a transfer, a sale of two elephants from Lion Country Safari to the Fort Worth Zoo, breaking up two mother and daughter uh, families. That was canceled in March of 2021 after our list came out, putting them as number one and number two worst zoos for elephants. So those are a few examples. And just, I can speak to Oregon after Oregon Zoo was prominently featured on the list as doing, you know, training elephants to do tricks for the public, entertainment. They stopped using, they stopped training them for tricks after that. Oh, wow. And that was a really good, you know, result that I saw in person right here in Oregon. And the zoo is now, you know, not using bullhooks anymore. And that was another uh, IDA victory, is it after many years of pressuring zoos and the AZA to stop zoos from using bullhooks, the AZA now has banned bullhooks and it will go into complete, zoos have to be in complete compliance by 2023. Wow. So they yeah. have to. Yeah, and they have to use protected contact now. And I can speak to the Oregon Zoo, for instance. They were using free contact up until a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And as you may know, if you're in free contact with an elephant, you're going to be using bullhooks. Right. That's just a, just a given. So the zoo did not want to stop using bullhooks. I spoke to the head of the uh, the elephant keepers there at the zoo. And he said, 
They saw nothing wrong with the bull hooks. They only did it because of the public pressure. So that's all part of our campaign is to amp up that public pressure. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it makes sense, you know, why there's been good progress on those ends, because ultimately, you know, the zoo responds just to public pressure since it's ultimately the demand which drives their goal to make profit. So if the people are, you know, reluctant uh, to support uh, the exploitation of animals, then the zoo will also have to change their methods. So I think that's uh, really good as for the improvements. And um, so you mentioned the AZA as well. So the American Zoo Association and Canada, Canada's accredited zoos and aquariums as well. And they have certain standards and guidelines for elephant captivity. Um, but, you know, I've you know, on your website, it says these regulations seem to lack enforcement and, you know, are frankly the bare minimum for the animal's welfare. Uh, for example, on the C on, on, on Canada's regulations, I saw the minimum was you know, only half an acre for one elephant, where, you know, mm -hmm. while, you know, um, recent reports, say, or we just know, we just know that elephants need so much more space to forage for food, walk for miles every day and just have control over their environment. So I think I found that uh, pretty shocking. So I was wondering after the list, did the, did the American or, you know, Canadian zoo associations also, you know, make some changes in their regulations? Did they reach out to you or were they, you know, more concerned with the zoo's protection and reputation? Yeah, they're more concerned with the zoo's reputation and protection. Okay. They're not going to respond and say that we're right. You know, that's just not part of their modus operandi, but they are responding to the public. And for instance, in Canada, the one thing that CASA has done, I believe, is there's no more riding elephants there. Now, that was something that the Lion Country Safari was doing. They continue to do tricks and they continue to use bullhooks because unfortunately, CASA has not banned bullhooks. So the Association of Zoos and Aquariums in the U.S., they have. So there is, I believe, a petition in Canada to, well, we sent out an alert, actually, to get Canada to follow suit and ban bullhooks for all of their CASA-approved zoos, accredited zoos. Mm. And, you know, I believe Canada is posed to pass the Jane Goodall bill. I don't know if you know about that, but basically that would phase out all confinement of elephants and other wild animals in Canadian zoos. The bill hasn't passed yet, okay. but it is up before their Canadian Congress. And so that would be a big step forward. Though, unfortunately, it kind of grandfathered in like Lucy at the Edmonton Zoo, yeah. um, you know, so it doesn't go far enough, of course, but it is a big first step. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And um, I was, it's also, um, you know, I was looking throughout the list and I saw some common zoos appear, you know, each time. So, um, you know, what are some of the zoos that repeatedly appear on your listing? Yeah, many of them, actually. Um, speaking of Oregon, Oregon has been on the list, I think last year was the 11th time. Oh. So 
they have been on the most. Edmonton is next at 10 times. Bronx Zoo has been on, I forget, seven or eight times. So yes, a number of them are repeat offenders for sure, because the same conditions continue. You know, it doesn't really change. So we put the pressure on them to try to wake up the public to the fact that these conditions are just ongoing and really need to really need to be addressed. Yeah. And uh, speaking of these uh, conditions, what are uh, what have you noticed are some of the common problems that elephants endure in zoos? You know, I saw, you know, lack of space and cramped enclosures. There was infant mortality transfer abuse, breeding programs you mentioned. Can you elaborate more on those um, challenges? Sure. Well, your first one you mentioned is the most important one. And there is a new study out by Dr. Keith Lindsay. He's a wildlife biologist who works at the Amboseli Trust Reserve in Africa. And this study reveals why a few acres is not even close to enough space for an elephant. Um, I believe I'm trying to translate from hectares to, to miles, but I believe it would be something on the order of at least 20 miles to provide for the needs of an elephant. And as you know, there's no zoo that has more than a few acres. So that's just dramatically insufficient. And for so many reasons, elephants are designed to move. In fact, they have to in order to maintain their physical and their mental health. So they're deprived both physically and mentally, psychologically in zoos. And so when you see them doing stereotypical bobbing or swaying or pacing, that's all because of a lot to do with the lack of stimulation and space. Then in terms of breeding, there a lot of times they are not, it's not by choice that they're breeding. You know, a lot of times the elephants are put together with certain elephants and pretty much forced or else they're using artificial uh, breeding, you know, artificial insemination. So they're, you know, they're force, forcing the males, they're pumping the semen out of the males, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, that means they're restrained and it's not a pleasant procedure, right? And then the females are restrained and artificially inseminated. So that happens in a number of zoos. It happened in, for instance, a Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle where chai was artificially inseminated over 115 times. Wow. And she finally produced, yeah, 115 times. She finally produced a calf Hansa, but she died at six years old from the very common uh, herpes virus, which is very common to zoos. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even really a very big success there. So yeah, death, early death is, is another big problem in zoos. And a lot of times it comes from the herpes virus. It's just uh, a plague for zoos. So let's see what else. Um, Well, you know, there's just a number of physical ailments that you see in their medical records. They have joint disease, they have arthritis, they have foot disease. I mean, at least half of elephants in zoos develop 
very crippling, painful foot disease, which eventually kills them. Um, for instance, at our zoo, one of the elephants had to wear shoes on her feet because her, she couldn't stand on her own feet. And in fact, it got to the point where she actually leaned on her trunk so she couldn't put her foot down. It was too painful. So if you look at their records, you'll see this is a very common problem. And, and even sadly, when, when they go to sanctuary, sometimes it's too late because the foot disease is so advanced. Now, sometimes they do heal. I mean, they do get better in sanctuary, but it's just pointing out to you how bad the foot disease can be for elephants. So a lot of times, you know, they're just standing in place. Once they've seen the exhibit, they know what's on the other side. There's nothing to see over there. Yeah. So they're very intelligent animals. And so they're not going to be interested in walking across a one or two acre exhibit and seeing what they've seen a million times. So they're standing in place. You know, so, I mean, that's going to be deleterious to their foot, their feet, and to their muscles, and develop joint disease. Uh, is it also, uh, like, related to the concrete floor of the zoos, usually? That yes, yeah, a lot of zoos, uh, for many, many years, had only concrete. Um, however, zoos now uh, are, because of the AZA, the AZA has said, especially any new exhibit has to have uh, either sand or some other kind of softer, what they call a substrate. Okay. So, but you have to also look at, is that really improving the foot, the foot uh, situation for the elephants? And we're looking at that and we have not seen much improvement yet, for instance, at the Oregon Zoo. You know, because once a foot, dis foot disease gets to a certain point, um, you don't see much improvement. And also sand has its own problems. Elephants can ingest the sand and that will cause uh, blockages in their intestines. So really the best substrate for an elephant is grass mm. or dirt. And most zoo enclosures do not have sufficient grass or grass at all for elephants because you know they're going to dig it up right right yeah right so it's yeah. just everything points to it not being mm -hmm. zoos just not being able to provide for elephants in any way yeah i saw on the uh, website it said even the best zoos are not good enough for elephants because they're just right. not able to replicate the conditions in the wild and you know we're seeing like a range of you know chronic diseases but also um, early death. I think um, I read in the in this list and also in the Born Free report that the infant mortality rate is around forty percent in for elephants in zoos compared mm -hmm. to ten percent in the wild. So I mean that was that difference is shocking and I think um, just underlies the um, issues with captivity. And um, one of, uh, in relation to the space issue we were talking about, one of the zoos on your list is the Cincinnati Zoo in Ohio, which you've labeled label the elephant pressure cooker. So can you just explain why and what's the uh, background behind that? Sure. Well, when our uh, investigator went to be witness to that, what she saw was three female elephants in a very small indoor space. <clears throat> and 
as I mentioned before, a lot of times elephants are not naturally uh, compatible. Mm. And these three were obviously not. And one of the elephants was being bullied to a very big extreme, more than this um, witness had seen ever. And she's been to many, many zoos. And one of the elephants was actually dragging the elephant by her tail. And then the, that elephant was so frustrated, she was banging her head against the, uh, the door to the inside area. So this is something that is aggression that you don't see normally in elephants. And, you know, zoos will call these elephant uh, collections herds but they're in no way resemble a natural herd, which is comprised of families and related cousins, aunts, you know, that's what a normal in the wild elephant herd is. It's not a combination of unrelated elephants who may or may not get along. And in this case, clearly one of the elephants was getting severely abused. Yeah, and I think that um, it said that this, it, I think there are four elephants in one acre, which is it's just so small. I looked at the video as well. And it says the zoo yeah. is also planning to bring in four more elephants and mm -hmm. um, breed even more babies and um, having 12 elephants in a five acre exhibit, which just doesn't right. make any sense. Like you said, I mean, I, I feel like adding more elephants is not going to um you know calm the social situation because compatibility isn't predictable uh for them since their social structures are very specific and um exactly. yeah so i think there's um also another zoo that i saw common was the bronx zoo which is 10 time on the list and um there's a case going on for that in new york for happy the elephant um, by an organization called Non-Human Rights. So I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on the case? Well, you know, they're continuing to work to free the, to free Happy. They did have a setback recently in the New York, uh, I believe it was the New York Supreme Court. And I believe there were five judges. I, I would have to reveal, maybe it was more than that, but they did reject the non-human rights project's plea uh, brief to release Happy. However, two of the judges ruled in her favor. So what I feel that, and this is what Steve Wise, who's the head of the non-human rights project would say, this is a long-term project. You know, trying to get rights for, for an elephant mm -hmm. in court, it's very uh, revolutionary. Yeah. And it's going to take time. So to me, I think the fact that two of the judges agreed is a good sign. And they're going to continue working for Happy's release. And as you know, I think they're also working for the elephants at the Fresno Chaffee Zoo in California. Right. So they're working on a number of these issues at the same time. But, uh, but Happy, Happy should... We all hope that in her lifetime, Happy will be free to sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you were right about um, the ratio. I think there were four judges who voted against and two four. But even the fact okay. that two, um, you know, agreed with the viewpoint about um, 
having that right to freedom for happy. I think that's um, good, really amazing progress by itself. And um, I think what I found interesting about happy was that, you know, she passed the mirror test where she could recognize herself, mm-hmm. so um, which shows self-awareness. So I thought that was really interesting and why I was attracted to um, happy's case in particular. Um, and also another one was, uh, you have a section called the hall of shame in your list and it's for the preserve in Texas, um, which forces elephants to do tricks for its, uh, visitors. So can you just tell us more about it? And I believe they also call themselves a sanctuary. (laughs) (laughs) That goes to show you how you have to be very careful about the word sanctuary. Um, yeah, the preserve, formerly known as Half Trunk Will Travel, was an elephant training uh, company that trained elephants to be in movies and in the circus. Um, they famously trained an elephant to be in, uh, uh, let's see, Water for Elephants. It was a famous movie, and that was one of the elephants they trained using brutal training tactics. There's video undercover video showing that. So what happened is in California where they were located passed a ban on bullhooks. So Half Trunk Will Travel rebranded itself as a preserve and moved to Fredericksburg, Texas. And what they do now is they still have elephants performing tricks. And I believe they are still renting elephants out. Um, and they have the public come and see the, the um, the elephants doing the tricks. So obviously they're still using bull hooks and they are no, no resemblance to a sanctuary whatsoever. It's, it's an amusement park. So that's, that's just a, what do you call that? A bait and switch trying to fool the public. I think so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think um, one of, I guess, their main attraction would be uh, kids, which I think is, you know, one of the um, attractions of the zoo. They say, you know, it's for education or um, I think at one of the zoos, they had like a pool, which is, you know, right next to the elephants. So it seems like you're swimming with the elephants. Um, I think that was the, um, yeah, the zoo in Louisiana. So I think just the main uh, problem of, you know, trying to use kids to um, just when not actually educating them on the animals and just using them as a proper entertainment is um, one of the problems with captivity. So it's just uh, sad to see that it's still going on. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think with, you know, lists like yours and um, just integrating um, animal welfare into school curriculums, we can, you know, build compassion at a young age. Um, so I was um, just in terms of public support for, you know, the amazing work you and In Defense of Animals is doing. If there are members in the public who have footage or observations from specific zoos, is there a way that they can send to your organization to investigate that? Absolutely. And we welcome that. And uh, we thank you for mentioning it because it's a very important part of our outreach so they can reach us. There's an email on our website. Um, they can also send it to me directly and I can give you, you have my email. Yeah. So please, please feel free to share that because the more people that can provide, can be witnesses 
because we can't be everywhere. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of zoos in the U.S. and Canada. Well, Canada doesn't have as many, but quite a few in the U.S. So the more eyes on it, the better. And I just want to mention one thing about you said about education. The yep. AZA's own study showed that there was little to no educational value after children had been to the zoo. They did their own study. And so I, I think that kind of uh, debunks the education theory. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's so many, you know, better ways for people to educate themselves about animals. I mean, we have, you know, technology now, you can, you know, volunteer at a sanctuary, and um, just do research. Those are all really great ways. And I mean, the most interesting behavior of animals is when they're in the wild. So, um, right. But, um, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned uh, one of the ways the public can help is through sending footage. Uh, are there some other ways our listeners can help uh, IDA's cause? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, check out our website. We always appreciate donations. We suggest don't support zoos with elephants. Or if you do go, talk about it. Mm -hmm. Go go and tell the zoo how you feel about it. Write a letter to the editor. Explain your visit to the zoo and why you objected to it. The more people that can really let the public, the wider public know, the better. And then also sign our action alerts. Uh, they're at idausa.org slash save elephants. And there's a number of action alerts they can sign. And they, those will help us, once again, put more pressure on officials to do the right thing for the elephants. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll definitely put the website and your email and that information in the description of the podcast. So anyone, the listeners who are listening, definitely go check that out. And I mean, thank you so much for your time, Courtney. I think this was a very interesting conversation um, from the perspective of, you know, criticizing uh, legislation. And I mean, really, the point is to seek for improvements and raise awareness. So um, it was very nice to hear from you and what your organization is doing. Thank you so much, Nikita. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, getting the word out. It's very important. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. You're so very welcome. Welcome.